of Back to Switch podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm also Jake. Jake, what's up? How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Let's Good. get back into Let's it. Let's talk some uh we'll talk some some football, some basketball. And then we'll have an interview at the end of this with uh Bengals running back Chris Evans. He also played for uh for Michigan. He was he was there for a few years, so excited about this episode. So I mean, I think the first thing I guess what we, we we could talk about is uh the NBA trade market, you know, Obviously, we're we're approaching deadline season. You know, it's still a little bit a month away, but you know, we had the OG trade a few weeks ago, which has worked. Looks like it's going to work out for both teams. But today, speaking of today, it will come out when the day after it happened. But uh, the Miami Heat and Hornets agreed on a trade to get Terry Rozier. So, Jake, what would you pronounce this on? Yeah. So I mean, I sort of, I think that the Heat sort of got the benefit of the trade. I mean, the lottery protected first that the Hornets end up receiving is pretty much worth nothing because the Heat will most likely make the playoffs in 2027, if you had to guess. So it's really just straight up the Terry Rozier clearing cap to get Kyle Lowry, who is now just aged up and really not going to do much in comparison to what Rozier is doing in Charlotte. I think the main thing for Charlotte was they had to clear cap for the offseason, and Rozier is taking up a lot of space away from Lomelo, which is, I guess, removing some production you can get out of Lamelo, but I mean Terry Rozier's been having a great season. He had I think one week he had two 40 point games and two 35 point games in one consecutive week. I mean he can really score the ball well. Miami's definitely getting a point guard that can do a lot better than Kyle Lowry. And I think I would give the Miami Heat, I would give them a B plus and I would give the Charlotte Lawrence, I'd give them a B minus. I mean yeah so I mean looking at you know the Hornet situation here, you know they had a, a flux of guards. They had a bunch of guards in that on that roster. You know, you have Lamelo obviously in the end, you have Rogier, but I mean Nick Smith has looked pretty good coming off the bench as a rookie. So maybe this gives him more of an expanded role. Obviously, he was number one recruit coming out of high school. So there's still a lot of uh talent there. Uh but I mean, yeah, Rogier could score. We know that. I mean, his defense isn't great, but he he likely will slot into that starting role for the Heat. Um, I mean, I think it's a good deal for them. It's not really a high-risk deal for them. You know, you give up Kyle Lowry, who's like he's 38, I think, 37. You know, he's not an efficient scorer like Rozier is. And then you give up a first-round pick. You know, although it's a first-round pick, it's still like four years away. So it's not that big of a risk giving that pick away. So I think overall, I'm going to give the the Heat a B, a B plus here. You know, I think they go out and get a good scorer to start in that point guard role for them without giving up too much. And I think the the Hornets also you you do get a first round pick, although it's not like in the next few years. It's still picks to have down the line maybe to trade for a star in the future. But I'll give them a B. So I think it was a pretty even trade. It's not it's not like one team scam the other team. You know, I think both teams benefited from this trade. Um, yeah, I can somewhat agree with that. And then the only other NBA trade we can really review as of late would be the Raptors, Siakam blockbusting trade. And then we can go into like predictions maybe for a deadline. But for this trade, the Raptors ended up giving up Pascal. And in return, they got a first round pick that had conditions going along for 2026 from Indiana to 2024 first as well from Indiana. Jordan Awara, Kyra Lewis, and Bruce Brown. The Pacers gave up, it looks like, three first-round picks, Bruce Brown for a second, and Siakam, and then the Pelicans give up Kyra Lewis, 
and a second to clear up cap and get cap considerations for the future. Uh, starting off with Toronto and giving up, they had to give up Siaka at some point. I don't think he wants to stay there unless he's getting an extension, which they didn't look like they were going to give him. And to be honest, they got a lot of value out of him. You get three, you get three first round picks from the Pacers, which are all going to be top twenty, you know, top twenty something picks. Like that can be great picks, but those are they're all first rounders. You get a former first rounder in Kyra Lewis, who can definitely produce. He was not looking that bad in New Orleans, and then the Warriors, a bench bench player, and Bruce Brown, really just in my opinion, a better Josh Hart because I'm a Knicks fan. So that's my compl- my my comparison. But Bruce Brown is definitely a good player. And he had to fill in the role of Siakam, so obviously it's not going to, you know, it's not the same role that Siakam had, and you also lost OG and OB probably a month or a week or two prior, but I mean, it's definitely good value. And Toronto, I would give them, I would give them a B or a B plus, I think a B plus. For Indiana, three first-round picks, Bruce Brown, the war up for a second, and Siakam, again, it's sort of win-win for those two sides. Indiana wants to get another star to put along to bonus in the Halberton. I mean, when you find Pascal Siakam, obviously you're going to win. Just they're going to have to extend him at some point because trading three first-round picks is a lot. But I would also give them – I'm giving them a B for now. It could go into an A-minus, though, if they end up extending and it all works out in favor for them. And the Pelicans have to clear cap, so, I mean, they don't really get a grade because they don't really do much. They give Lewis and a second just clear cap. I mean, yeah, look, the Raptors are obviously going to rebuild mode, so I think – you know, they're just getting a lot of value out of out of just OG and Siakam. They were able to get a bunch of picks, a lot of a few young players like RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly. And this trade, you're getting Bruce Brown, but it doesn't look like he's going to stay there. It looks like they're going to shop him around. Definitely a lot of interest there. He was a big part of the, the Nuggets uh, championship run last year, so he's definitely going to have a lot of interest from contending teams. And I mean... The Pacers, you know, they wanted a guy next to Halliburton that looked like they're a real threat this year. So, I mean, I think for the for the for the Pacers, you know, you did they did give up a little bit. Uh, I mean, certainly the price was not cheap, but I would say I'd give them a B plus as well. I think they did get they're better as a team now, but also kind of you're giving up a lot of draft capital in the future, which maybe could come back to haunt them, but most likely not. They do have a bunch of good young players already, and. I mean, for the Raptors, I'm I'm also going to give them a B plus. I think they're, you know, getting a bunch of picks here. Maybe they could have tried to get one of their good young players, but overall, I think for both teams, it, it's going to work out well in their favor. And I mean, the Pelicans also just got some money, so yeah. Okay, we can go into for the end of this NBA segment, just players on the block and you know landing spots that we think they would fit well in. Uh, I think the first guy I've talked about is DeJounte Murray. Yeah, I mean, he definitely is going to have a a market. Like, he's a very talented player. It does seem like his fit with Trae Young hasn't really worked as the Hawks would have wanted. But still, they're both very talented players, and it looks like they're going to look to trade uh, DeJounte Murray to hopefully get some draft capital and some younger players to build around Trae Young. So, I mean, team I, I like is the Lakers to get like that real point guard there. I mean, you would trade D'Lo in a couple picks done, but I do like the fit. I mean, there has been rumors about the Knicks. And as a Knicks fan, I don't, I mean, obviously he's a really good player, but I, I just don't love the fit next to Brunson. I think they should try to get a guy off the bench more than DeJounte Murray is a guy you start next to Brunson. So, I mean, I think yeah. I like 
Lakers as a as a spot. I was gonna say the Heat, but now they got Rogier, so that's off the table. Yeah, I think the top suitors right now it looked like was some people are saying a reunion in San Antonio to get a real point guard, but I think Trey Jones is good enough right now. They're in a rebuild phase. Yeah, they look to saying, get a guy in the draft. Yeah. Um, people are saying Milwaukee. I, that doesn't really make sense to me. And then the real suitor, I think, is LA. I think you trade D'Lo, maybe a first and second. If you had to do two first, I wouldn't do that. But you you do need a real point guard to put beside LeBron and AD. And that can really make, put the Lakers into that top four spot in, in the Western if they can put their act together and really get a real point guard. So I think the Lakers would be my spot for Murray. Um, I think the second guy I should talk about is Zach Levine. Yeah, I mean, both of those Bulls guys, Levine and DeRozan, they could be certainly shopped around as the deadline approaches. But I mean, there's, I mean, another team, the another guy who could go to the Lakers is certainly both of those guys make sense for the Lakers. Uh, also, I mean, the Knicks also could be in. I'm, I'm mentioning the same two teams. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're certainly gonna have markets. You know, DeRozan's one knock on him is he can't shoot the three ball. So that might affect his value a little bit, but he's still a very talented scorer. He could, uh, and is also a very good defender. So I mean, he certainly will have a good market, and I'm curious to see, you know, how that transpires and kind of the way the the trade market is going to develop as we we get we grow closer to it. Yeah, um, for Levine and DeRozan, I think Levine's really just at that two two three spot where you need a playmaker, you need a wing that can score at will. The defense isn't great, but I think a contender would look to trade for that type of cal- that caliber of a player, or at least a top four team in their conference. You know, for an actual suitor, honestly. I like the Kings. I forgot to say them. I think that yeah. for the Kings are a good spot for him. They need a two guard. Yeah, I think Sacramento. I think Sacramento is going to fit. Um, Philly might have to be a bad fit. It's really any contender that needs a two or three as a pure scorer to go along a big man and a guard and a point guard, but. And then there's DeRozan, who you say he can't shoot three ball well, but he's still in an elite. He yeah. still has an elite mid range. He can put up 18 a night, whatever given. Defense, he plays better defense than Levine. Not that saying much, but Chicago really hasn't really played great with either of those stars together. They're going to package at least one of them into a trade. I think the bars also can get can end up going to a, either a contender or a real rebuilding phase team that just wants to see what they can do with a real caliber type star. Yeah, I mean, another team to put out for DeRozan would be the Mavericks. I feel like it would make sense. They need a guy next to Luka and Kyrie at the three. So I feel like that would make sense. But, I mean, what other guys you want to discuss? Maybe Malcolm Brogdon. He's certainly going to be talked about on the on the Blazers. You know, he won six man of the year last year. So certainly a team could look to get a point guard off the bench with him. Yeah, I think Brogdon's on the market. Maybe Jeremy Grant, who's been having a solid season. He'll definitely be in the market because – he can be he's a pretty good scorer. And obviously right now the Trailblazers suck. So they might shop him around. He's playing up it looks like 21 for a game off 45% shooting. I mean, that's pretty elite for a, a big for a four. So I think he can end up going to a contender if someone wants to trade for a guy in a expiring contract. I think it's one or two years right now. And maybe but, we should Uzma traded. Yeah. But, but yeah. Other than that, I think we can go into the NFL, where I think today we can talk about coaching. If any teams go into the grades of coaching hires or for teams still to hire. And first, we can talk about hires. We have break um, from yesterday the Tennessee Titans looking to hire Brian Callahan, former offensive coordinator out of Cincinnati. Um, 
I still don't understand the main move to move on from Vrabel. I think it was more of just they're hitting the restart button, but I didn't want to move. I thought Vrabel was actually a good coach. I don't think he was the reason why they weren't producing as well as maybe they desired to. I think it was more talent-based that Tennessee hasn't really had the talent to actually go deep in the playoffs. They haven't really had an elite quarterback in the past three or four years. They're looking to rebuild around Levis. So I wouldn't move on from Vrabel, but if you're going for a real offensive-minded coach, Callahan obviously coached Burrow in an elite offense for the past year or so. So obviously his title literally read in tonight, true offensive-minded coordinator. So if you're hiring him at coach, that means you can expect big things out of Tennessee. But with no real experience, as a young guy with no real experience at that coaching position, I don't really know what to grade it. I would give it at least a C, but like I'm not going to go above B, B plus because I don't really know what to expect. I mean, yeah, I do. I agree with you. Uh, I think it's like a weird that they they moved on from Babel, but I agree that they were probably looking to restart. You know, the GM came in last year, so maybe he kind of wanted to see, you know, how the team works. Obviously, didn't really perform, so he's like, let me hire my own coach. I mean, Callahan, I mean, those those offenses uh, from 2021 to those two years, 21 and 22, they were really, it was a really efficient offense. And this year, you know, they did get in the groove for a little bit uh, until Burrow went down again. So, I mean, I think I think this could be beneficial for Will Levis, kind of having a guy who's helped develop Joe Burrow. And they certainly do need to add weapons around Will Levis for him to be successful. But I've always been a big Will Levis guy. Jake knows that. I, I think he has really good arm talent. He could run. Uh, I mean, I think he just needs to put it all together, and he could be a very solid quarterback. And I mean, I next- mean yeah. So, I mean, the next hire is former Giants linebacker, interim coach in the Raiders, Antonio Peterson, that full deal. Personally, I think this is a great deal for Pierce, not only Pierce as a Giant fan, but as a Raiders fan, I think this is a great deal. You can't under, underestimate one the power of a team that uh, that the power of a coach of a team that coach actually believes in. Look at Dan Campbell. You see, coach actually brings energy, talks to the team nonstop about how great that team can possibly be. And when here's the coach after the five after their he got he got promoted to head coach last year, went five and four of a team that literally before was hired looked like they might be the worst team in the NFL, and he brought that team back to where they actually deserve to go. If he coached all year, I'm saying that team could have had at least eight or not, eight, at least eight wins. They had the talent, and coaching wasn't there. He came in, they drove that defense back up to where they deserve. Max Crosby and a top level defense that can get sacks, pressure, interceptions. A defensive minded coach that now is the only problem what quarterback are you going after? Who are they going to build around? Is Devontae staying? Josh Jacobs staying? But the defense is there for him, so they can really build an elite defense with him. I mean, yeah, this is kind of the move they had to make. You know, they made this mistake in 21 not bringing back their interim coach. So, I mean, the players were all for this, and I mean, they they were five and four after he took over. So, you know, that was certainly an improvement for what they had. The players all love him, and I mean, I think there's certainly some pieces there. They they might need to find a quarterback. I don't think they will go out and draft one this year. I think it could be a good fit for a veteran quarterback. For you, maybe like a Kirk Cousins could come in. I feel like that might be a good fit for them. But I mean, yeah, uh, O'Connell was pretty good, but he's certainly not the the quarterback of the future for them. So. Maybe we'll look. They'll look to add a veteran this year and draft a guy next year. But overall, I think it's a it's the right hire. I I mean, I'm not gonna give it like an A plus because I think it was just the right thing to do, and I'll, I'll just give it a minus. And I mean, the other hire, uh, New England Patriots. They they also went in house. They brought in Jared Mayo. I mean, he played for them for a bunch of years. Uh, certainly, I I I think Belichick actually had a big part of this happening. 
he's probably the guy he wanted to take for his successor to be there. And I mean, I think he's very familiar with the Patriots system already. I th- I don't know if it will be as different at so much different for what they had with Belichick. You know, they do need a quarterback and they have a top three pick. So they're guaranteed to land one of Daniels, uh, Caleb Williams or Drake May. Maybe they'll trade up. But I think the Patriots are actually not in a bad spot going forward. They have some good young players and they kind of just need that quarterback and that one receiver to really get them going for the future. I mean, yeah, like you said, Mayo came in as, as DC the past few years. He played for New England, which sort of brings that Campbell Pierce, former NFL player that the team can like and look up to as an actual leader. That's a positive. Defensive-minded coach is always positive when you're, when you're coaching a team that already has a good defense. When you have players like Judon, corners like Christian Gonzalez, defensive linemen like Christian Barmore, you have the pieces to build a defense. They have a talent on defense. The big thing was, number one, their offense sucks. They have no weapons whatsoever besides Ramondre Stevenson and a solid aging O-line. But my concern was that because they have good draft capital. They have a ton of money to use. And they have the Patriots. You can bring in players if you need to. My concern was what coaches can Mayo hire, not having experience in New England, not looking like they're a great team right now. So that might worry me about who they can bring in to actually be the DC and the OC. But other than that, I think this could be a good hire as a young coach. And most likely young coaches do well in the NFL if they play in the NFL. I mean, yeah, it's and also it's talking about most of the three official hires so far. It does look like the Chargers are going to get uh, Harbaugh, and I think it's it's uh, hopefully it works out for them. I think it is the right move. I think to go in and get him is going to be key for them. But you know, never know. He has he was pretty good in his first tenure in the NFL, but hopefully he could do what he did with the Michigan with the Chargers. And then the Falcons—they've been talking to a lot of coaches. Belichick has interviewed twice there. I don't know if they go in that direction, but see the Commanders. Look, Ben Johnson is definitely who they're targeting most, but also a lot of these other teams are. So we'll see what happens with him. And then also the Seahawks and the the, the Seahawks and the Panthers. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just go quickly team by team. I mean, first you have the Falcons. Literally looks like the only coach they've gone after and the only team that responded to this coach is Belichick. I think they're going to end up hiring him. I'm not sure if it's going to be a good move, but it's going to be the right move at least. I think it's Belichick or bust for the Falcons. And once they hire him, it's obviously a big plus or higher if you get a top two coach of all time, most likely number one. But they're the Falcons just have a they have a rough roster to work with. They have so much talent, but they have a lack of coaching with Arthur Smith. And then the defense is just odd. Then you go and they have no quarterback. You go into Carolina. I, I know they're going after Ben Johnson. I think he'll end up going to um Washington, but you don't run though. I think Brian Johnson they says no longer interested in becoming the Panthers coach. So and Brian Callahan just got hired. So I think the coach is going to be um Avero as their new coach, which is someone that came from the system. So I, obviously that's an expected move. Not sure if I like it. For Chargers, I think it's gonna be hard well. Um I don't like Michigan football, so you know that's the negative for me, but he just won a national championship. He coached pretty well in the NFL, brought the Niners to the champ to the NFC championship. Do I think it's this going to be a great move for them? I think it's the right move for an offensive-minded coach that can build around O-lines, can build around talent. I think if they hire him, the Chargers are going to hit the reset button to try to build around Herbert, and that's probably the right move. So that's probably the right hire. Um, you go into Seattle, I think Dan Quinn is pretty much the lock at coach. He already came from that system. He's, I think he's going to move on from Dallas anyways, and 
now that Pete Carroll moves up into an upper rank in that team, is looking with fully John Slider and some rebuilding this team. I think they're going to end up hiring Dan Quinn. And then Washington, I think, is going to be Ben Johnson, which I think that's the best move out of any team. I think he's going to be the best head coach out of anyone in this coaching class, per se. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, you want to discuss playoffs or? Um, we can discuss the playoffs quickly and maybe a little transfer portal, yeah. Yeah, I mean, championship uh, weekend is obviously coming up in there. We have for the AFC championship, uh, the Chiefs and the Ravens, NFC, the Lions and the 49ers. I mean, these are both really these are both really good matchups. I think all these teams the teams are pretty evenly matched, I would say. But I mean, uh Jake, you give your thoughts on these games first. I mean, yeah, for as a fan wise, I mean the Ravens playing in the championship is what I want to see, no matter what. I they were my pick for the Super Bowl and they still are. I think they Besides San Fran, they're the team to beat. And this matchup versus Mahomes, that's what everyone wants to see. I think a lot of people are hoping to see Mahomes be dethroned by most likely the MVP and Lamar Jackson. Then you go into the NFC and you got Brock Purdy going against Jared Goff, two quarterbacks that were under their looks going into this year. Obviously, no one expected Purdy to be this good. The Niners are the team to beat roster-wise on paper, coaching-wise. And then Detroit's just a team that no one – ever sees in the playoffs, and now they have one of the most fiery, powered offenses. They have a great coach. They bring energy. Detroit is just the city where they believe so much in their team that they want it that badly. I think my pick would still be San Fran versus Baltimore, but Baltimore, KC, I can see either team winning, but in the NFC, I really only see San Fran winning, which upsets majority in the NFL, but I think they're too good to lose. Yeah, I mean, looking at the the Chiefs-Ravens, uh, I think this is really the Ravens' year to go to the Super Bowl. They have a lot of expiring contracts, and I think, I think they 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 are the better team. I think the Chiefs, you know, they they obviously been very good this year. They just they don't feel like the team they were last year to me. So I mean, I'm gonna go with uh, the Ravens when that. And I think also the 49ers didn't look very good last week, and the and they kind of got lucky with that win, you know, with the missed field goal and. But I mean, I, I'm gonna go with them. I think I'm gonna go with the 49ers. I think it's gonna be a very good game. I think it's gonna be a close game throughout. And I think it's gonna go in the 49ers' favor. But overall, I think t- these are gonna be two very good games. But I see my super matchup being Ravens 49ers. Um, yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Then the last thing we talked about is just the transfer portal, who remains in it and what teams won or big player moves, most impactful players. Obviously, as an Alabama fan, we lost a lot. So when you look at the top two guys, actually, when you look at the top six guys, four came from Alabama. Number one, you had Caleb Downs. I think that's sung the most. I mean, he really has top 10 draft pick potential. He's going to be a blocking starter at Ohio State for this year. He definitely brings a huge impact. Yeah, Proctor at tackle going to Iowa, his hometown. I mean, once he decommitted, that's where he was going to go no matter what it looks like. But it hurts as an Alabama fan knowing that he was one of our best offensive linemen recruits we've had in years. The third guy was Walter Nolan. I think this, I think he could be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft for years to come. Going to Ole Miss, who Ole Miss actually shocked a lot of people. They brought in tons of transfers this year. Mm-hmm. They brought in the number 17th recruit. They brought another 17th transfer, number 25. And they were looking to make something happen there. 
do I think it will happen? I'm not really sure because Ole Miss hasn't been great in the past few years, but I think Nolan could be a real impact player. And then you have Ohio State grabbing pretty much the rest of the transfers in the portal. They got Quinchon Judkins. They had Julian Sayan. I mean, they're looking to do something crazy at OSU. And then they're going to win it all. They have to win it all this year. If they don't win it all this year, it's pretty sad. They literally have Junkins and Henderson in the backfield, which is unbelievable. And you have yeah, yeah I mean, it's going to be a stacked team. We'll see how Will Howard does, but yeah, and I mean, Oregon is also, they, they, uh, they brought in Evan Stewart, who was very highly touted at high school. I mean, with, uh, with Tez Johnson and Franklin leaving, they kind of needed to bring in a receiver, and I think that's a good get. You know, you bring in uh, Dylan Gabriel to start this year, and then you also bring in Dante Moore to start for the future. So, I mean, Oregon loading up for this year, and I mean, yeah, I mean, Alabama, you know, they're obviously losing a bunch of guys. We'll see what the new coach, who he brings in, but. Yeah, I mean, it looks like the big thing for Alabama was – bringing back Ryan, um, Ryan Williams out of the decommit. He decommitted. He was a top receiver in the class, and it looks like they're trying to get him to come back. That's really all they had to do after losing so many players. They brought him L.C. Overton. He was a first-round talent, playing defense at linebacker from AM. He's definitely a run stopper, gets a lot of sacks. And then they brought him to Monty Jackson, who was one of the top-ranked recruits going to USC last year, playing safety to replace – Tail downs. I think that's going to be a big get for Alabama, at least to keep in shape. And then they they lost Isaiah Bond, which was their biggest loss at receiver. They're going to have to find someone to replace him. Hopefully, Ryan Williams will be that guy. And yeah, my my Syracuse Orange they 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 were pretty busy in the portal. They got Kyle McCord from LSU. Hopefully, will be an impact. Uh, Fidel Diggs from AM, who they actually beat out Alabama. So I mean, it looks like my Syracuse football is uh is on the rise. Hopefully, we'll. We'll see. Obviously, we'll see how they perform, but college football is crazy. I mean, all these transfers, it's like free agency at this point. It really is free agency at this point. I think so many players transferring over and over again. The D commits, I think there's some players saw that has ninth year of eligibility this year. Yeah, from Miami, McCormick. Unbelievable. Yeah, which is sort of. There has to be a little bit like change of rules here, you know? If they have to change rules, at least I think the rules should be one transfer per player in their career. I think the NIL is fine. They have to let that be, but at least one transfer. Yeah, one undergrad transfer, and then you get the transfer. That's fair. But but once you transfer up there one time, you have to stay there. The the eligibility, I think, once COVID has to be done in terms of years past, it's already 2024. So I think by this year, I think eligibility goes back to four or five years. That's it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's really going to be all. I mean, and then uh, I hope you guys enjoy the interview with Chris Evans. You know, we talked about his career, you know, his his recruitment process, which is interesting. You'll hear about that, you know, playing the Super Bowl a lot, a lot in that episode. So, I mean, hope you guys enjoy and uh, we'll see you. Today we're back with another special episode. Today we have Bengals running back Chris Evans. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you? Good, man. Appreciate y'all for having me, man. No problem. So let's hop right into it. Our first question, just what got you into football in general? Um, What got me in football is, um, so there's a story when I was little, um, I used to play soccer. That was my first sport. I think soccer is a good sport to introduce kids to, just so they can like run around in circles, essentially. But um, I kind of got a little more aggressive than I was supposed to be in the little soccer league. So essentially they were like, hey, he doesn't need to play soccer anymore. I think I was a little uh, kindergartner. 
So then I got put up in, um, I went to go play football the next year and I was in kindergarten, played with the kindergartners, first and second graders, and then um, got my real first taste of some contact. So that was fun. So were there any like NFL players kind of growing up watching football that you kind of wanted to be like and kind of modeled your game after? Yeah, I was um like Danley Thomason. Y'all know, y'all remember him? Yeah. Danley Thomason was a um. That's why I wore number twenty one. Um, so I wore number twenty one. And if I could get twenty one, I wore twenty one. But if not, so when I got in, um when I went to Ben Davis and um when I went to Michigan, I kind of just flipped it and just said I'm gonna wear number twelve instead of twenty one. So thought that was pretty dope. So obviously now being a running back for Cincinnati Bengals, but before that you played at Michigan. So what drove you for that whole commitment, that commitment to Michigan? And I know that once you committed, you started getting an offer from Ohio State, their biggest rival. So what was it like staying with Michigan? What got you there, the whole decision? Yeah, man, I was um Ohio State fan growing up my whole life. For real, just like how they just like how they did things. Y'all, y'all Ohio State fans, y'all like Ohio State? Um, Syracuse fan. Yeah. You said what? I'm a Syracuse fan. Syracuse football or basketball? Both. I mean, we just yeah. got a Kyle McCord from uh, Ohio State. That's yeah. big time. <laughs> That's big time. I, I played with um Dan Villari um, at Michigan. I think yeah. it's a tight end. Yeah, yeah. But um, when I got, I was getting recruited by Ohio State, and I mean, I was, I uh. They, yeah, they recruited me. They didn't offer me a scholarship, so I went on campus and did some drills. They actually actually recruited me to be a defensive back, and I never played defensive back. I played safety, like, on third and long. They will put me in just, just in case so I could just jump up and try to, like, intercept the ball. But um, he was working me as a DB. I really didn't know about it. Um, but then I went up to Michigan, and um, Coach Harbaugh took me through. Coach Harbaugh was on the tour with me, like, on a visit. So, and my parents were there. That was the first visit they went on. So, he was like, my parents, my, my dad liked um, Harbaugh at the time when he was at, um, he's a 49ers fan. So, when he offered me, I was like, coach, can you, can you wait? Like, can, can I, can I commit? Like, maybe in a week or two, two weeks. And he was like, what? Like, what are you waiting on? You know what I'm saying? And I was like, I didn't want to tell him, like, coach, I'm waiting on Ohio State, see if they're going to offer me. Um, yeah. But I said, all right, I'm a, I'm a, um, Coach, I'll let you know, like, with the next day. So the next day I called him back and committed. Then we fast forward six months. Um, and then Ohio State offers me, like, a couple of days before signing day. Um, and I was like, I got to I gotta stay. Uh, Urban Meyer called me and said, why don't you make your dream come true? I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, I, 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 was, I was, like, torn. Like, I was so torn, but. I had to, I had to stay. I was I've been committed to Michigan for six months, so I had to just stay with who I gave my commitment to. You know, these kids nowadays they're commit, transfer, uh, commit, decommit, commit, trans. Like it's it's crazy. So I'm just, I'm glad that that's how my story went. Was like the main reason why you stay with Michigan just because you already committed for the past six months, even though you were an OSU fan, or was it more like when you visited that was like the school you want to go to? It was more like. Um, I've been committed for six months. I went to the Nike opening camp that was at Ohio State's camp, and I wore like Michigan shorts and stuff. Like I was like, I was like, if I if I went back on this, like if I went back on this, it's a look bad. <laughs> I didn't did enough, you know. Yeah.
So what was like your whole like, you know, college experience playing football at Michigan like? It was good. I um my freshman year was 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 crazy. Um just I, I played receiver mostly in high school. So when I played running back in the I formation in the Big Ten, it was a real shock for me, especially like having middle linebackers, you gotta block them. Like that's not an easy task. Like just and I would say this, linebackers, chances are if you met a linebacker who's like crazy, chances are he don't care about him, so he's not gonna care about you. So like if he's gonna run full speed, he's trying to like destroy you. You see what I'm saying? So I had to kind of get that because playing receiver and playing running back is two different, like you're getting taken two different type of hits. So um this is the pass protection. I'm still learning that to this day as far as like, you know what I'm saying? The technique is very technical and stuff. But um, and then I got suspended in 2019. And then when I came back, it was COVID, COVID year in 2020. So COVID was, I mean, everybody had COVID. The team we played had COVID, can't game it gets canceled. We actually, crazy story is, so we're about to play Ohio State in the COVID year. I don't think nobody know this. But we're about to play Ohio State in the COVID year. And I think our quarterback coach got COVID, right? And so all the quarterbacks were like out. So, and this is this is why I got so much respect for Harbaugh because he tried to make it work, right? Like Wildcat or like just yeah. So when we came in to play Ohio State, I think on the Monday, there was literally there was literally like so there was four running backs. It was Blake Corn was a freshman at the time, and then Zach Charbonnet, Hassan Hoskins, and me. So we are all. It was he had a list of wildcat formations. So he had four plays. Hassan had to remember four. Everybody was a quarterback for four plays. So then he had a total of sixteen plays <laughs> to play against Ohio State. So I'm like, so like it's like okay, if one I got two pass plays and two run plays and different things. Like so he was trying to make it work as a without any quarterbacks. But I was like, coach, we're about to go. Like I mean, I didn't say it, but like we're about to go to Columbus with no quarterbacks. Like there's no like there's no way we're gonna get embarrassed. So. Um, just my whole experience there was just, it was just amazing. Like Michigan's like the, the, the place that molded me. So, you know what I'm saying? That's how I am today. So like moving forward after Michigan, I mean, you obviously, you want, first you thought you invite the senior bowl, which is big. That's where you get to showcase your skills, mainly not for combine purposes, just as the best seniors in America in college football. So what's it like getting to play in that and the invite? Yeah, it was cool. I was actually booking my flight to go back home. Um, I was in Dallas training for the uh for the comp well, the combine got canceled because of COVID. So, but I was training for my pro day essentially. Um, and then I was like booking a flight to like go back home to see my family. And then um Jim Nagy called me and said, Hey, you wanna you wanna put the you wanna put the helmet on one more time? And I said, be my guest. All I needed was an opportunity. COVID really messed me up as far as like, you know what I'm saying, getting tape and everything. Um so I uh Ended up going to playing in the game and and like you know what I'm saying raised a couple of eyebrows. Literally, Zach Taylor at the Bengals literally told me like, "Hey, we loved your interview at the at the combine. I mean at the at the Senior Bowl. Um, we loved your interview at the Senior Bowl and um like that's a big reason we got you. Like I didn't talk to them all throughout that process, but they just ended up drafting me. So it was crazy. So kind of moving forward to the draft, what was it like getting the call from the Bengals that they were gonna pick you? Yeah, I was, I was, um, I was the the sixth round started, and I thought I was, you know, what I'm saying, going not be drafted. That was like my biggest fear. Like, 
I don't know if y'all know, like, that's probably, I don't know if other guys do with it. I would like to actually know if they, they deal with it. But, like, if you're, like, a fringe guy, like, if you're, like, projected fifth, sixth, seventh round, like, you could be, like, not get drafted at all. You see what I'm saying? So, you yeah. could have a, you could have a, um, I've seen people have uh, draft parties and invite the whole community out. They got a hundred people at this party, and then they don't get drafted. Like that's like the worst. So I, I kind of went on the, I went on the um, smaller approach as far as like I'm gonna just get my close knit family because I ain't, you know what I'm saying. So the, when the six round started, I had like took a walk. Like I was just trying to get some fresh air, and I walked to my mom because like I was like, man, like I might, I might as well just think that I'm gonna get undrafted, so it like doesn't surprise me. Um, so I was walking down, and then when we came back, Zach called me on my on my other phone. So like, all the NFL teams got this number, and this is like my number for like all my friends and family and stuff. So he called me on that phone and said, "Hey, you were gonna be a Bengal." So I was like, "Oh, coach, can you like can you wait? Like I'm not at I'm not at home right now." He said, "We already put it in." So I just started. Running. Full speed, like I, run, I, my, I left my mom in the in the back. Like, well, she was kind of—I mean, she not running as fast as I. <laughs> so you can kind of just see like the separation how I went, and I was just turning around, telling her, "Come on!" So then I came in and um, I told him to turn the music off and then turn the TV on, and then so when I got drafted, and then my life changed forever from there. Was there any prior communication with Cincinnati going into draft, or you no clue? Yeah, I had zero zero clue. And the craziest thing is what people say, um, with it's the same, but like I really didn't believe it at the beginning. But I would tell any person that's going in the draft now that the team that you don't talk to is the team that really wants you. So I'm saying so the teams that are talking to you, well, I don't know, who knows? I mean, how many people can you ask and get that same answer? But um I never even talked to the Bengals once. And then like, I, I talked to him at the Senior Bowl, but I talked to all the teams at the Senior Bowl. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm talking to the 49ers, talking to the Eagles, talking to, like, I'm talking all that. I see they, I see they, when they got their picks, they just keep, they just, you know what I mean? They, they just draft whoever. I'm like, well, I, the Falcons literally told me, we're going to draft you. Like, somebody told me that. And I said, okay, the Falcons got two picks in the, in the six back to back. I got to be one of them. And I wasn't one of them. So, that was the day I'm like, I ain't trusting no, with nobody with nobody say ever again. So, yeah. Um, Back to like sort of not related to Cincinnati, but in, there's some article I read that said that you, that you like your entire flat top hairstyle is based off um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So why, like, what's the whole story behind that? Yeah, man, I was, um when I was in uh, about middle school, I just, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to find my own way. I wore I had glasses, I had braces, I had a high top fade. I was just trying to find myself. So, um, but I really watched Fresh Prince of Bel Air when I was growing up, like Naked Night. Y'all know what Naked Night is? Y'all too young for that. Too young. Yeah. Naked Night had like Fresh Prince and George Lopez and all that stuff. Um, it's Nickelodeon. So, Nickelodeon at nighttime, like for adults. Um, so, that's when I watched Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And that's when I became a fan of Will Smith. I stopped being really a fan of him when he uh, slapped Chris Rock. I don't know what that was all about. I don't, you know what I mean? But that's 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 bad. You know what I'm saying so. So yeah, uh, I mean, jump into your rookie season, the NFL. You guys went to the Super Bowl, and 
you had a reception in the Super Bowl. So, like, what was that whole season like, you know, playing in the biggest stage? Yeah, the going from playing 12 games, well, not even 12 games. I played – we played six games in 2020 in my COVID year, and then 2021, we go from six games to – if you add preseason, it's a total of 24 games. So I'm out there like, this is this is crazy. But when I got into that Super Bowl, that's when I was like, this is nuts. Like, this is nuts. Like, I'm we're standing there on the kickoff and the rock is on the field. Like, the rock is like really he looked bigger on TV. I'm gonna say that. I'm like, bro, you, I mean, you're not that big. Like, like they, they make you see, but he was big and he was just crazy how much goes into it and different things like that. So, but just seeing Joe Burrow work, you know what I'm saying? It's crazy, like, how much of a lead, what a leader can do for, you know what I'm saying? Any team, you know what I'm saying? I'm not, it's not even football. You got a great leader, like, you know what I'm saying? You you could be successful. So he just is doing his thing, you know what I'm saying? Keeps everybody involved, keep everybody together, keep everybody, you know what I'm saying? He's a normal dude, too. Like, I feel like that, like, people look at, People in the NFL and different things be like, hey, he's just some, like, nah, like, we're just regular people for real. We just got regular thoughts, you know what I'm saying? And it's kind of like, it's just more on the mental side. So learning that my rookie year was was big and just being able to, you know what I'm saying, contribute to the team in some way was just, just the, was it for me for real. I mean, obviously, I think 2022, you were the primary kick return guy this year. You've been a secondary, but what's sort of been like full on being involved, not only on the offense, but on the special teams sort side of like the game, it's fully different. Like in practice, is it different? Do you have to like do two types of practices? How's that whole work at? Yeah, um, yeah, just being on the being on the team in general, like it's like whatever you, whatever your role is and whatever you know, what I'm saying you're called up to do is what you got to do. Um, so special teams is um, like we do special teams at the beginning of practice and then do um offensive defense like at the end. We kind of just spice it up a little bit, but um, just being able to be like have my full time job, being able to play football, you know what I'm saying, is 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 all I can ask. So when I go in there, I just go hard or whatever they need me to do, and then I'm just you know I'm ready to I'm ready to do whatever comes my way. So yeah. What has it been like, you know, playing with like Joe Mixon, a veteran running back, like kind of learning from him? What has that been like? Yeah, it's been good. He's he's seen a lot of football and um, played a lot of football. Like that, that guy just goes, goes, goes. It's it's like impressive to see like that he's been doing it for seven years. You know what I'm saying? 20, 30 carries a game, you know what I'm saying, going right into the next week, you know what I'm saying? Being able to see him practice, don't he don't take no days off. Um every time he gets the every time he gets a run in practice, he runs it all the way to the to the end zone. Like just seeing how he practices and how he goes about his business, it's like it'll be crazy to watch. I'm um, going into some more different types of questions. What was the whole like game day process like for you? Not for for you in particular, and then as a team, what's it sort of like? Uh, game day. Um, on a normal game day, we gotta be at the facility by like ten thirty. So, um, we stay at the apartment. I mean, not the apartment, the um, hotel, team hotel, to make sure everybody's um in. They give us food the night before, um, and then we wake up. We got to be at the facility at 10.30. So, essentially, uh, my stylist gets here at, like, 9.30. So, he brings, you know what I'm saying, my outfits and different things like that. And I pick. And then I go to the game. Uh, once I get there, 
you got to turn your car off because they got dogs. They got to make sure that you don't got no bombs attached to your car. It's kind of crazy. Um, and then you go through and then you walk in, you get your bag checked and then guys are already like, you know what I'm saying? You're starting to get in a zone. And then you go out there for like, it's called, it's called optional, optional activation. So like, you know what I mean? It's a little, um, plan workout that the shrimp coaches run. And, um, and yeah, you do that, and then you get ready to the returners go out. Then, uh, then each position goes out, and we come back in, have a little prayer talk. Like, and the crazy thing is too, you get to the NFL. There's no like crazy speech that like the coach says. The coach, hey, y'all know what you're, you know. What I'm saying it's it's essentially yeah. down to the hey, y'all know why we're here. Let's get the job done. Let's go. Let's break it down. Like it's nothing. Like it's more internal as far as like the rah rah stuff. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. So, I mean, talking about, you know, your college career again, what was it like, you know, playing in the game, you know, for a few times? Obviously not – it didn't get to happen the last last time, but what was it like playing at the previous years? What was you talking about in college? Or... Yeah, that was – Ohio, Ohio State game. Oh, Ohio State game? Uh, you know, Ohio State game is crazy. The, uh, the biggest thing that I realized uh, – because we – I never beat Ohio State, and we're – now we're Michigan's rolling on Ohio State, but – Really, with like guys who during my Michigan era, like we kind of look at it that we were the guinea pigs essentially because we didn't take the we didn't take the rivalry serious, and it's not because of us; it was because of like how we operated in the building. So, you know, what I'm saying they're Ohio State is doing f Michigan like push ups and doing all that stuff. We weren't doing that; like we were taught to treat this game like a regular game. You know, what I'm saying I don't, and I'm like, hey. These guys are like literally trying. Like when you play against Ohio State, they got like just a different type of energy to them. So I'm saying it's like they just like, bro, why are you why are you so mad? You know what I'm saying? Because they had to do. If, if you're a freshman, you got to do X amount. Well, at least during that time, you got to do X amount of sit ups, however many days up until Michigan game. You know what I'm saying? So they can't they can't wait for that. And we're like, bro, this is just a normal game to us. But now, as we start like. They have like Ohio State sleds and everything like that at, at Michigan now to like boost that culture. And I think it's it's been working. Like literally since after COVID in 2021 when they won the first game, um, I think it was a blowout, like 42 to 24 that game. But um yeah, that when you when you start when you start putting the culture on that and you start saying, hey, because every year you gotta win that game. You know what I'm saying? You have to. Like no matter if you win all your games, you lose all your games, you gotta win that game. You know what I'm saying? So or if you want to like go to the promised land, you got to win it. Because like if Ohio State beat Michigan this year, then now Ohio State's in the question of like could they win college football? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. So we're going to some more like rapid fire questions. Our first being, what's your favorite hobby or something to do outside football? Um, I I like to watch movies. I got like a food blog that I do. Um, kind of cool, and uh, I got my foundation things like. Got 707 teams, volleyball teams, you know what I'm saying? Different foundations that I do. So that's about it. Oh, what would you say some of your favorite movies are? You mentioned you said you watched a lot. So uh, some of the recent movies I watched is uh Leave the World Behind. I watched that. Uh damn, I got a lot of movies. I don't even know which one to pick. But I like psychological thrillers. So I'm saying like movies that get you thinking. Um so, yeah. What is your uh, go-to pregame meal before a game? 
um, pasta with um, red and white sauce mixed and with uh, chicken and uh, chicken and steak and broccoli in it. That's my go-to. Who are some of the team like teammates on the Bengals that you've gone to be really close close with over the past past years that you've been on the team and like some of the teammates that you're close with? But yeah, all everybody in the running back room, um, specifically. Um, but I mean, business is business. You go in there and do your job and the ones that are next to you when you do those jobs it is essentially like my running back guys and guys on special teams. So those are the guys I essentially talk to the most. Who do you say the the funniest guy on the team is? Uh, funniest guy on the team. Funniest guy on the team is probably BJ Hill. BJ Hill or um, yeah, BJ Hill is the funniest guy on the team. Who in like pregame? Who's playing the music in like the locker room? Who's got the ox usually? Who's Probably playing some uh, Meek Mill or some Chief Keith. So yeah, he 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 sets the tone in there as soon as we as we get in there. He plays the song and he's the one dancing in the middle. It's, it's tough. So yeah, and our final question for you is like, what are some uh, goals for you moving forward? Uh, goals for me move forward is to just attack this offseason hard. You know, what I mean, get bigger, faster, stronger, be able to come back. You know, what I'm saying, um, healthy and strong, and being able to you know, what I'm saying, make a presence on the team and. I'm saying do my job for him. So, yeah. Thank you. That's pretty much all I need. Thank you so much, Chris, for hopping on our show. It means a lot to us. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you.